Welcome to the Healthy Returns Podcast, where I sit down with founders, investors, and executives innovating in health tech, fitness and wellness, and human performance. My guest today is Noella Costa, co-founder and CEO of Nula. Nula leverages at-home hormone testing data to create personalized plans for improving women's health. Customers can also use their biomarker data to help inform their doctors when presenting symptoms. In today's episode, we cover Nula's inception, AI-enabled personalized care, and Noelle's vision for the future of women's health. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy today's episode. Hey, Noelle, thanks so much for joining Healthy Returns. Thanks for having me, Nolan. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, super excited for this conversation. I'm excited to share with listeners what you're building in the women's health space. So um, if you could please introduce yourself and um, what you're building at NULA. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, again, my name's Noelle. Uh, my pronouns are she, her. I am the co-founder and CEO of NULA. And really why we exist is to empower women to better understand their bodies through critical data. And a lot of that lives with our hormone data. Um, oftentimes we understand that, you know, hormones are important for reproductive health, but um, they are responsible for so much more than that and responsible for our entire health and, and the functioning of all of our, our, our systems, including our brain health, heart health, um, our, our metabolic health, everything beyond. So it's more than just a reproductive health issue. And in fact, um, after a personal brush up that I had with uh, a hormone related condition, really found that um, there was this piece missing where we just didn't understand our bodies to properly take care of us. So we exist today to really provide um, women with that information, that, that personalized information about their bodies, so that they can in turn work with um, their care teams to properly take care of their whole health on um, a preventative level rather than the reactionary nature that we see in healthcare today. Amazing. Yeah. Now, take me back to when you first founded NULA in 2021, um, obviously still amidst a global pandemic. Um, what was going on in your professional life, your personal life that kind of led, led you to creating this venture? Yeah, I mean, so quite a few things. Like my background is a bit unconventional. Um, I, in undergrad, I did study pre-med. I have a degree in biology and concentration in physiology. I had a big interest in biochemistry as well. Um, so that's really been my educational background. I had plans to go to medical school, um, but I really found this itch for um, the entrepreneurial journey and really like building things from the ground up after I actually supported myself throughout university um, through my own entrepreneurial venture and um, really loved it. And so I, you know, did apply for a program for medical school and it didn't get in. And I think I sat there like, okay, well, what do I do now? Um, and being in San Francisco at the time, I decided to join a very early stage startup, thought, okay, I'm going to take, I'm going to do this for a year or two, save up and I'll revisit. Um, yeah, the past med school. And I actually loved it so much. I joined such an early stage company and really built my career leading and scaling go-to-market sales syndicates. And so once I started on that path, I um, there was no looking back. Uh, and I really enjoyed just helping scale these startups through these significant growth milestones. So that's been really, really where my background has led. It's primarily in the B2B SaaS space. Um, actually in 20, I think it was, yeah, 20, for actually a couple of years, started around 2018 through 2020, I was navigating um, some personal 
struggles with my my own health. Um, and despite me having pretty decent health literacy, access to phenomenal care, I had wonderful employer-sponsored health insurance. I, again, I was in the Bay Area, so I was going to some of like the best, you know, mm-hmm. health care offerings um, available to me. I found myself being the one in four women who, or one in five women who feel dismissed and ignored by their providers. I had very present symptoms, and um, we don't really share that. switch birth control methods. And after doing that, um, I began menstruating for seven months straight. Um, I had chronic migraines that truly disrupted every aspect of my life. Um, it impacted my work. It impacted my social life to the point where, um, you know, some days I just I was unable to make it to work or make it to social events. I actually distinctly remember we had a housewarming party. And I felt so awful from those symptoms that I literally took a nap on the couch while we were entertaining guests. And it was, and despite these things, you know, I was just being handed a new birth control prescription because I wasn't necessarily trying to start a family. And so I just grew extremely frustrated with the system and decided to take matters into science. So I put my science hat back on and I went straight into textbooks. I began ordering my own panels through at-home test kits that were available online. I looked at my 23andMe data, I, and I went nose deep into research articles. And this took months to try to put together these pieces of the puzzle. And that was when I first realized, like, wow, we have so much unique data about our bodies at our fingertips, yet these aren't being used when we are actually looking to receive care and to feel better. In the clinic and so i started putting this all together myself to the point where i was like, creating graphs um and i went back to the doctor with like a stump this high with highlighters and i suspected that i had something like either pcos which is polycystic ovary syndrome um endometriosis or fibroids i wasn't sure but i really wanted ultrasound and 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 i remember distinctly i had this study highlighted that specifically called out that said that Hispanic women, so I'm half, I'm half Mexican, Hispanic women with PCOS have the most severe phenotype, which puts us at the greatest risk for infertility, insulin resistance, and heart disease, which heart disease is the number one killer for women. So I brought this to my doctor and said, look, like, but, but you're not taking me seriously, and you're just kind of associating this with my ability to have a baby, or when I'm ready to have a baby, then we can talk about it. You're not just directly impacting my fertility, but you're impacting my lifespan overall. And so I demanded an ultrasound again, and they were like, fine, we'll do it. And once I got the ultrasound, it confirmed a diagnosis for PCOS. It took me about a year to get the diagnosis, which actually in hindsight is pretty quick. Mm -hmm. Um, For most people with PCOS, it can take on average between two to four years to get diagnosed, sometimes up to 10 and across multiple and in multiple providers. Um, So I was just really frustrated. I knew that this was something that was not okay. I thought if this is something that I went through with the resources I had and the the know-how uh, and honestly like even just the resilience to and tenacity to keep demanding answers, I can't imagine what the average woman goes through navigating these same exact symptoms if not worse. And so I knew I wanted to build in this space. I thought the best way to do that was to really like join a digital health company. Um so I joined a company called Maven Clinic. Um, um at an early stage and help scale um, uh, in their sales arm and build my career there. 
And that's where I met um, my co-founder who um, was an engineer over at, at Aging Clinic as well. Um, and so really spent my career uh, in continuous scaling there. And so I left Maven in 2021 to then take a bet on myself um, with Nula. It's really like <laughs> the catalyst for taking that bet was actually a very personal decision. Um, I actually had a a scare with a potential brain tumor at the beginning of 2021 that really put everything into perspective for me. I thought, you know, I can either either leave this earth making an impact and 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 taking a bet on this vision that I have to make healthcare better. Um, and I thought if I make it out of this, and then that's what I'm going to do. And thankfully, I'm okay. Um, it was a scare, nothing more than that. Um, and so I decided to leave Maven in the summer of 2021 um, and start working towards towards NULA. And that's when I got my first um, very small check through an accelerator program called Visible Hands um, that invests in underrepresented founders. Um, so they give you an initial check of 25K and it was a three-month program. And I thought, okay, I have three months to come up to make what I kind of this napkin sketch idea of what I what of Nula into a venture backable business. And that's exactly what I did. That's amazing. I mean, a lot to get into there. Um, but first and foremost, thank you so much for sharing that super powerful story. Um, thank you. I think it's indicative of a traditional healthcare system that, as you said, um, tends to dismiss um, women and their symptoms mm -hmm. and it seems very backwards to me. Like you were the one coming to your doctor with this stack full of research papers and um, that were highlighted and trying to convince your doctor to, to give you these ultrasounds. Um, it, it doesn't really add up. And I think that's true for a lot of these really big consumer health companies that they started out by filling a gap in the traditional healthcare system. Um, that's a conversation that I love to have on this podcast over and over and over again, because mm -hmm. people tend to look at the two things very separately um, with traditional healthcare over here, consumer health over here. But in reality, the alignment's all the same. Um, it's trying to improve health outcomes and trying to give patients the type of quality care that they, they deserve in whatever fashion, whether that be in the hospital, whether that be through an app um, and in Nola's case, a uh, personal at-home testing kit. And my story isn't unique. Like it's very, very common. And you know, the my condition alone impacts up to twenty-five percent of women. Um, you know, hormone-related conditions overall impact you know up to thirty to forty percent of people as well, um, including men actually. Um, you know, so it's it's something that is very, very common. And I learned this by talking to people. I found that the more I shared my story, while well, there were similarities and I guess we experienced not one, two of our journeys were exactly alike, even though, you know, we shared the same conditions, um, our bodies are unique. So, you know, that really led to like, why isn't our care unique too? And, you know, it's, I, I it's not, the doctors aren't solely to blame either at all. And they have their hands tied in by the system. And I think you showed it really nicely is like, very typically, we'll see that consumer health is operating um, separately outside of traditional health. But as generations that largely grew up with the internet, like we are navigating our healthcare entirely different than this generation and grandparents' generation. So we're seeing the shift away from medical paternalism into 
really patients and people taking matters into their own hands, being far more informed and having access to be informed. And so that just truly drives the need for much more participatory and informed care um, for both parties, but we can achieve that proactive um, healthcare system. Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to touch on your time working at Maven Clinic. Um, mm-hmm. It's been super fascinating. They're, I think they're maybe the first uh, women's health company to uh, achieve unicorn status, um, which is which is super cool. Now, what did you learn from working there for a few years and now having your own women's health company, um, looking around at Maven and other companies in the women's health space, uh, what do you think are your core differentiators at NULA? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I mean, at Maven, I was responsible for leading mid-market sales team um, and helping build up our outbound business and sales development function. And so that largely was focused on employer sales. So during that time, we sold um, directly to um, employers as a benefit uh, specifically for employees to take take advantage of. And with that, um, those employees would have access to um, the Maven telehealth network um, and, and provider network there, which was incredibly cool. I think, um, you know, I joined right when we raised our Series B and left after raising the Series D, which put Maven as the first um, women's health unicorn. And with that, you know, I think we, we like, I learned a lot. I learned specifically, like, this, this is not a niche. Um, it's very much needed and it's very much well utilized when it's, when it's available. And it's incredibly valuable. And I think what Maven did an incredible job of was actually making access to these empathetic providers um, available to people who need it, right? Because again, navigating the healthcare system on your own is challenging. It's incredibly complex and fragmented. And the fact that Maven could act was actually able to build this um, this opportunity for you to have access to anyone from an OBGYN to a doula to a nutritionist um, to a reproductive endocrinologist when there's only 2,000 of those in the U.S. was huge. And so really found a ton of value in that. Um, I would say I also learned a lot in terms of helping, you know, build things from scratch as far as like the go-to-market side, um, especially through growth milestones and seeing how we needed to evolve and shape it um, through each growth milestone was a huge learning that, you know, I, it sits really well with me today, even building NULA from zero to one. Um, and then as far as like differentiators go, I would say like, you know, we, well, we're operating in the same space, like we're entirely two different companies. Like we don't, today what, what NULA does is we provide um, information your hormone levels through at home testing and based on that unique biomedical data and symptoms that you're logging with on track, um, our algorithm then makes proactive personalized recommendations to take care of your whole health. So it's very much data driven. In that regard, we don't provide any sort of care. So you, today, I think like there are lots of companies, a plethora of companies who do that very, very well. What we've learned is people are coming to us to understand their bodies, not to receive care. So that's where we're, we're leaning in on. And then where we complement other other um, solutions like digital health solutions, like whether it be a Maven clinic or another telehealth solution or even in-person care, is our members now have access to this data to have informed and productive conversations with their doctors. Like I can actually tell you myself, like I have used all of the data um, from NULA to have these strong conversations with my reproductive endocrinologist, which has saved us 
a ton of time. It's allowed um, him to actually make more informed decisions about next steps for my care. And also like it's allowed me to avoid unnecessary, or I shouldn't say unnecessary, but avoid um, time delays from back and forth of having to find time to go into the office for potential blood work or, or vice versa. Like we were very able, we were very much able to quickly make decisions together based on the data that, that I was only able to receive with NULA and nowhere else. I mean, he even said he makes my job so much easier by giving me this information. Yeah. Yeah. Patient empowerment is definitely a huge theme uh, in the digital health space um, more broadly that is still taking shape. And I think um, diagnostic tools like, like NULA, for example, that's tracking mm -hmm. hormone levels over time is, are, will be really important for, for the future. Now, I think I know the answer to the next question, but you touched on how NULA is primarily actually a preventive platform, whereas mm -hmm. healthcare is pretty reactive. So what does that customer uh, journey look like when you know downloading the app and getting the testing? And then um, what type of, if you can name a couple like actionable um, tools or insights that NULA may bring to the customer that, that are preventative in nature? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, first and foremost, to more often, like I would say 99% of our users are coming to us because they feel the symptoms of a hormone imbalance, right? They, many of them have actually shared like, hey, I tried to get my hormones tested in the doctor's office, but wasn't, I couldn't. And so they're very much um, high intent users who are frankly over these symptoms disrupting their lives and want to take control of their hormonal health. So they often come to us um, organically through, you know, whether it be word of mouth or, um, you know, other channels, but they'll come to us and basically first, when they sign up, they have the full intent to get to know their hormones through our at-home hormone test. So first and foremost, um, they will test nine key hormone biomarkers that are essential to our total health and well-being as women. Um, and then once they actually receive the results in NULA, um, based on that information and, and the symptoms that they've logged within NULA and their demographic information, our, our algorithm will then start making personalized recommendations so that they can properly take care of their health. And many of these recommendations are very much lifestyle-based, nutrition-based, um, and again, tailored to that individual based on their unique data. So I can kind of give myself as an example, like I am someone who is also very susceptible to headaches and migraines and based on some of my results and, and some of the predictions with Anula, you know, as like one of the biomarkers we test for is estradiol, which is one of the most, is, which is the most prominent form of estrogen. Well, as that dips, especially around your menstrual cycle, um, that can also make you more susceptible to a menstrual migraine, for example. Mm -hmm. So um, my new app is really tailored to understanding that about my body and then also making recommendations on what I can do to alleviate that. So like one recommendation that I get that I actually added to a daily plan with Anula is uh, to take magnesium supplements. Of course, like we should always talk, consult with your provider before introducing any supplements um, into your routine or regimen, but um that was one thing that's really actually helped me. And I've seen fewer headaches and migraines um, since employing a lot of the practices that uh, my NULA plan has recommended for me specifically. I'm super fascinated by a lot of the new um, AI algorithms that are 
coming out that are supporting mm -hmm. companies. Um, what so that model, uh, if you could share what that uh, model is trained on in terms of the data. Yeah, so today it's um, through our own um, database. So we have a proprietary database um, where we are able to essentially aggregate all this information, of course, is de-identified. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's constantly learning based on um, that, that data itself. So it's learning based on my individual data and then other demographic data as well as clinical studies. Okay, got it, got it. I want to shift the conversation now to um, back when you were first getting NULA off the ground. Um, now, mm -hmm. you definitely know the stat, but less than 100 Latino women have ever raised like VC dollars. Um, so as such, I'm sure your experiences fundraising are very unique and very different from a lot of other founders. So um, a few mm -hmm. questions. One, how did you first get in front of investors? Um, what did the whole fundraising process look like for you? And at the start, did VCs really understand what you were building? <laughs> um, I would say, you know, I'm, I think one of the, I mean, it's sad, but, you know, I can't help but laugh about it. But I mean, you know, I think it was, it, it was not easy. Um, I, you know, I think a lot of the folks that, you know, I was pitching to, you know, they're not some, I mean, many of them weren't women, right? And so I, I recall, like, I used the term menstruation and one male investor asked me what menstruation was. <laughs> and, and so, you know, it was... It, it was a very challenging environment and especially being, you know, a woman of color um, and having this tight timeline to fundraise um, based on a napkin sketch idea was incredibly tough. Um, but, you know, I was so determined to make it happen that I did. And I was someone, you know, I, I'm not, I don't fit the traditional mold of a founder, I believe. Like I don't come from an Ivy League background. Um, I'm first generation. Um, so I remember, I, I did attend like an office hour session or fireside chat where about fundraising. And I remember my, the advice I received was like, well, you should get your first half a million with a family. I was like, well, I don't have those kinds of friends or family to be able to, to, to do that. And as I'm sure you're aware, is like a lot of the, the venture ecosystem is really tailored and connect, connected through warm intros. I did not know a single investor going into this. And so I leaned on as creative strategies as I could to build my own ecosystem and network of investors. And so the Visible Hands network was actually really, really helpful. Um, every During that three-month program, they would often have like, guest speakers who were investors. So, um, you know, I didn't care if I fit their thesis or not. I just wanted to get their feedback on um, on what we were building and how I can strengthen my pitch. And so I think there's a lot of advice out there. And I'm not saying like all advice is like one size fits all, but I just, I did what, what I felt was right for me. Um, they say like, don't reach out to people who pass on you for, or ask them for intros or don't, you know, reach out to people who don't invest in your thesis. But again, I was like, I need to build this network. So I would, cold email them and say, hey, like, I know we're not in your thesis. I'm looking for feedback. Thanks for speaking out this. I like, you know, I find like this book on a podcast or I spoke for Visible Hands. I saw them on Twitter. I would really reach out and say like, I admire what you said um, about this particular issue. Would love your thoughts on what I'm building and like how I can improve my pitch. 
And that actually worked really, really well. Um, I also would scour Twitter for events that were happening. So like when I was first speaking out to fundraise, it was around the holidays. So I was surprisingly like a lot of, um, there were obviously a lot of events happening, um, especially holiday events. So I would make sure I was the first person there and the last person to leave so that the investors who were um, hosting those events knew who I was. Mm-hmm. And then as I was also building out this network, if someone passed on me, I, I felt like I didn't have a choice. I would ask them for an introduction. Um, so I said, hey, I noticed you're connected to these folks. I know we're not the right fit for you, but would you feel comfortable making introductions to these people? Here's why I think they would be a good fit. And actually, that worked too. So I actually did end up getting receiving some investment dollars that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and surprisingly, Twitter was incredibly helpful in helping me build my network and my ecosystem. So um, I did receive some investments through cold outbounds on Twitter. Um, that worked out really well um, too. So a lot of it just came from pure outreach, not being afraid of the rejections and honestly chasing those. I thought like the sooner I got to a no, the, the sooner I got to a, a yes would be next for me, right? So I believe I pitched um, about 100 investors before receiving a yes um, at that point. Wow. So, so let me get this straight. So you were doing all of this networking and fundraising while you were sim- simultaneously trying to take Nula from um, the napkin sketch, as you'd put it, and like the ideation state into, um, you know, an actual full-fledged company. You were doing that just with your co-founder at that time or was- It was, was your- just me at the time. Just you at the time. Okay. Wow. That's incredible. Wow. Yeah. So I, uh, my co-founder Susie joined um, after we raised, our, after we raised our pre-seed. So granted, like I raised at the very beginning of 2022. So the climate was very, very different. I raised on a screenshot of what I want to build. It literally had three screenshots. of like, <laughs> this is what I'm going to build. And that was it. Yeah. Um, so it, it was definitely not the norm. I would say like, I think if it would be, if I was trying to raise like that today, I think it'd be much more difficult. Um, not to say it wasn't difficult then, but, um, you know, I was able to raise an oversubscribe oversubscribed and pre-seed round in very quickly with that approach. Okay. Got it. I mean, fundraising is a full-time job, so I had to like go all in on fundraising only. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm still trying to wrap my head around like how, and the fact that you, you had mentioned that you had this three month timeline with the original 25,000, like it's, it's all just blowing my mind more and more that like more (laughs) about it because that's just so much going on especially yeah. built in a space that people already tend to dismiss and that VCs and investors don't really understand. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that was like one of the biggest learning lessons I had was um, I think early on, I was very much chasing, chasing investors and trying to convince them why this was worth investing in. And then I quickly learned to like, you either understand it or you don't. and I needed to use my time very wisely and focus on the people who truly understood the problem at hand mm-hmm. um, versus the conversations that I had. Well, like, why don't you just go to the doctor or, well, let me talk to my wife to see if she would use something like this. Like those were not the right people, the right partners for us. And as I'm sure you can imagine, I received notes from every single one of those people, like me trying to convince them why it was worth investing in did not get me anywhere. Mm-hmm. So I, instead I, quickly reoriented my focus on who were the right 
partners and champions. And every single week, I would honestly, at the end of each week, I would do a post-mortem exercise where I would actually reflect like, okay, what worked well this week and what didn't work well this last week. And that way I could really figure out like, okay, here's how I need to reshift my focus and energy. Got it. Got it. So today, as Nula stands, it's a consumer health company. Um, mm -hmm. The future, do you have plans to maybe sell Nula as a benefit to employers? Because um, I know you, I know you'd mentioned that you know you don't envision Nula as being this comprehensive like provider platform, right? Because there's a lot of companies mm -hmm. doing that really well already in the space. Um, but have you thought about the the employer channel at all? So, I mean, we, today we are part of a few employee perks portals. So not, we're not necessarily, I mean, I would say never, I mean, I, I don't say like, I should say it'll never be a possibility today. It is not on the horizon for Nula. Um, truly, I think the benefits um, area is pretty well saturated. And I think like with, we have some, with our product roadmap ahead of us over the next year, um, there are other other areas uh, that I think make more sense for us given our direction, but um, I guess never say never. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, we are already today a part as part of like our you know because my background is in B two B. You know, we thought really strategically about how do we get in front of a consumer in a predictable, scalable, and repeatable way, and a lot of that has been driven through specific perks platforms. Got it. Where employees can go into, like, if you're at a large fang company, for example, or, I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be a fang company, but um, companies are sometimes access to these portals where those employees receive exclusive discounts to certain products. That's where we're listed. Okay. Okay. And so you mentioned that that product roadmap for the next year. Um, if, if you're comfortable, if you could just share maybe one or two things that are um, on the near-term horizon for, for NULA. Yeah, I mean, it is in stealth right now. So we, we are very, very excited um, what's next for us. So I can't share too much, but really it still very much fits within our thesis to empower um, women to better understand their bodies. We're making this, um, you know, it, it, we're so excited about how we're, we're iterating on our current testing mechanism here. But um, yeah, it still very much fits that thesis. Um, and we know that our members are and future members are going to be really, really excited. And um, we've truly identified this untapped nexus that we believe will truly reshape the future of health and how we understand our bodies that further links both um, patients and their providers to deliver that informed, participatory, and proactive care. Um, so I can't share too much, but uh, I cannot wait for the day that I can scream it from the rooftops. <laughs> That's that's super exciting and that that's really great to hear. Um, I know we're coming up a little bit on time here. Um, wanted to actually ask this question at the beginning, but um, you know, got got caught up in you know the other um, you know great conversation that we we're having. Um, what does the demographic look like for the current users of Nula right now? No, oh, yeah, yeah. So, um, majority of our users kind of fall within two buckets. Um, I would say like there, a lot of them have symptoms and conditions related or symptoms related to conditions like PCOS and endometriosis. So they definitely fit um, kind of in that, that bucket where many of them are dealing with irregular menstruation. They're dealing with um, chronic fatigue, um, low libido, like those symptoms specifically. Um, they may or may not have received a diagnosis for a condition. Um, 
but they very much like kind of fall within those symptoms where, or this bucket where these symptoms are impacting your life somehow. Um, and then the other large bucket are um, women who are navigating midlife transitions. So they are maybe approaching perimenopause or in perimenopause, approaching menopause. And again, those symptoms are impacting their life. So I would say like a lot of them are falling in, in those kind of core buckets. We do have, I would say, a, a, a chunk of users who are essentially like biohackers. Um, <laughs> where they focus on optimizing their, their whole health. And a lot of that does include a focus on hormone health. Um, and so some of those folks will actually leverage new specifically, especially like around training, like wanting to perform best if they're like athletes, for example. Um, but many of them kind of do fall within that, that biohacker bucket to, um, you know, to take care, take care of their bodies um, in the best way possible, where they're really optimizing their total health and wellness. Got it. Got it. Um, and l last question here before before we wrap up. Um, so, you know, you shared that you, you guys are building a bunch of things in stealth. Um, what in terms of future fundraising and raising capital, is that something that's also on your guys' mind right now? Where are you guys in terms of maybe raising around another round in the future? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, we are kicking off our seed round. Um, so we are now that we're in the new year, we're going to go full fledged into fundraising mode. So absolutely, like, we are really excited to um, enter this next chapter and our next phase of growth based on the learnings from our preceded. We, we learned a ton from um, the launch of our MVP um, and are really excited to shape this next phase of growth with the right partners who are excited about um, the future of health and really leaning on a data-driven approach to drive precision care that um, we believe like will pioneer a new um, a new way of taking care of our bodies. Amazing. Noel, thank you so much for this conversation. I think uh, Noel's value proposition is super, super interesting. Um, one that thank I'm you. sure a lot of investors will, um, they will resonate with a lot of investors and I, I wish you the best of luck in raising, raising the seed round and into building everything that you're doing in stealth and just for in general, the rest of 2024. Yeah. Thank you so much, Nolan. It's been such a pleasure and I really enjoyed our conversation and yeah, excited to have had the opportunity. <laughs>